You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everybody. This is Mission Lab, and I am thrilled to be coming to you tonight from cozy Bangor, Maine. And I am doing something, we are doing something that has never been done before. We're we are venturing into new territory, and that is we are conducting an interview remotely for the first time. So this is a, this is a milestone for Mission Lab. And uh, I am thrilled to have one of my very best friends uh, on with me tonight. His name is Jared Thomas. And like me, he is a bald headed uh, <laughs> with facial hair millennial who I believe, Jared, you're like literally two days older than me, if, if I remember correctly. Your birthday is what, like July 5 or something? Correct. Yeah. There you go. So I'm July 7. Now you guys all know. And we're, we're literally two days apart. And so I am so excited to have Jared on the podcast with uh, me for this episode. And we are going to talk about some really good stuff. And uh, Jared, why don't you very briefly kind of introduce yourself? Why would you, why would I want you to be on my podcast other than the fact that you're really cool? But um, what, you know, who are you? Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I'm on this podcast. Um, I, uh, <laughs> you know, longtime listener of of the podcast and appreciate kind of the experimental space and you tracking your own mm. thoughts um, as you journey along. But um, you know, we've had some uh, conversations discussing some of our similar struggles and views um, uh, for me, which have kind of crystallized uh, in the last probably 18 months, pushing two years now. Um, uh, I'm a pastor, um, Mm -hmm. have kind of a non-traditional background, um, became uh, a follower of Jesus in my uh, early 20s, and then um, got involved with traditional ministry and then non-traditional ministry and and back into traditional ministry. Um, And uh, that's resulted in a, a recent appointment kind of as middle management for a department at the general conference, uh, which took me out of the local church. And as a pastor has been very um, educating to get back in, into the pew um, mm-hmm. and uh, teaching Sabbath school and doing some other things, but just observing and um, seeing things from a different angle that I haven't seen mm-hmm. them uh, you know, in a long time. So, so before we go there, let me just clarify something because we do have some listeners, uh, who are not familiar with some of the jargon because they are not, they are not, uh, seventh day Adventist. So you said general conference. So explain just for a second what that is. Yeah. General, the general conference is the, um, world headquarters of the seventh day Adventist church. It's based in silver spring, Maryland. Um, it's a big office complex, um, where all the departmental heads of various ministries and entities, um, have their headquarters there. And then through that work through 
um, the divisions of the world church. There are 13 divisions and a couple of directly attached fields uh, to the general mm-hmm. conference. And the structure goes all the way down to, um, or I should say all the way up to the local church. <laughs> <laughs> because the local church, the local church is, okay, drop a bomb on some people here. The local church is the <laughs> highest level of church <laughs> structure and governance. Uh, so, that's, that's that's perhaps a, a topic for another podcast, but I sure. like your yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you're coming to us from Maryland tonight as we're recording this, and yep. uh, it's really awesome to, to be able to connect with you. And so, yeah, start unpacking for us a little bit more. Um, you know, you've been a uh, more of a, I don't know if we'd say spectator, but since you've 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 moved away from local pastoral ministry you are not the person standing up front uh most of the time now uh when you go on a saturday morning and so uh what you know what have you what have you observed as you've been a person in the pew if you will well it's been i think more than anything else clarity on something that i've i've always experienced and that is, um, even as a pastor, um, I never really enjoyed church, the idea of church. Um, now there were things I really enjoy about um, the church, about the mm-hmm. ministries of the church, about as a pastor, being able to teach and connecting um, with people. But um, the form of the church service um, mm. has really left me um, desiring something better. Kind of the whole mm. one-sided, um, mostly non-participatory, uh, consumer-oriented um, program of church. And I'll just say I, mm. I, I don't like mm. programs. Um, we're just kind <laughs> of coming through... Uh, Easter season, and I've seen pictures on social media of of local church programs of, you know, people with fake beards dressed up like Jesus, and um, <laughs> I, you know, and even I, 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 Christmas program. I'm just not a fan of kind of the cheesy program, mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, and I don't want to be too critical, but the kind of half baked church programs that sometimes we don't always take seriously in our worship. I don't, I don't like to cringe during church. Mm. And as a pastor, I found myself cringing a lot to the point where I would, I would simplify things. Um, I started using, you know, multimedia audiovisual presentations. As soon as I got into ministry, I started building, you know, PowerPoint presentations and over time. I just said, you know, I'm going to stop doing this because, um, AV problems. If, if something can go wrong, it will go wrong and it distracts from the service. Um, so I found that I didn't really need them. You know, I could try to keep the audience engaged without it, but just to simplify, 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 um, just for the sake of, of preserving, you know, a cohesive, you know, service in a, in a, you know, multi-church district and managing volunteers, mm-hmm. low tech, situation. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. I'm not, I'm not really a program guy. 
<laughs> join the club, man. That's uh, I, I like you. Uh, you know, we've talked about this uh, in the past on our on our podcast, but um, yeah, just in the last few years, just realizing that I don't like the program, and I, I and I only realized that when I experienced something better, and that was intimate community and fellowship. And I think probably your experience has been the same. Um, even when you were pastoring, um, you know, larger church, smaller church type of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I had, um, uh, my most recent pastor and I had a, a larger church, about 150 people I had a smaller church about 50 people, more historic church, older church, you know, the larger church, if you have a larger building, you're going to have to have a bit more of a formal service to mm-hmm. um, maintain, I don't know, sanctity, decorum, order. You know, if you have an informal program in a very large church, it just seems like it's too loose and it's scatterbrained. Whereas you have a smaller group, smaller mm-hmm. building. It, you know, it was a country setting. It was less formal. It was more authentic. The church, interestingly enough, were kind of like they didn't really fit in other churches, but they all kind of fit into this smaller church together. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that, this is the church that when we left, I mean, we love both of our congregations, but this is the one that really, um, it was very painful to leave. Um, They were real people. Yeah. There, you know, there was flexibility. There were deeper relationships there. There was an authenticity. Um, so I I really appreciate the smaller gatherings, the more um, kind of small group oriented. I mean, it, it, it takes me back to a time where, you know, I was a Bible instructor. Um, and for those who may not be familiar with, you know, what that is, a, you know, a Bible instructor, a Bible worker is kind of a gun for hire uh, <laughs> by a local church to come in you know, do Bible studies in the community, train the church members, put on, you know, you know, programs and, 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 uh, outreach programs and so forth. Um, and, and, and first year of, of marriage, we had a small group in our home. that was awesome. It was informal, um, deep connections with people in the group, some young people from the church and, you know, invite their friends. It was a safe place. We'd have dinner. We'd talk about the Bible. Um, just collaborative fellowship, food, spiritual, everyone's engaging with each other and, and, uh, kind of going deeper together. And, um, that's really something that I have missed. And now that I'm back, uh, in the, in the churches, um, as a parishioner, um, I'm sensing that, that need even more. Yeah. So, so some might be listening and saying, wow, this guy just wants to get you know, do things the way he wants to do them because it's not meeting his needs and, you know, it's pretty self-centered. And, you know, I've had conversations with individuals who aren't necessarily opposed to transitioning in our way of doing church, but we're thinking, yeah, you know, you got, because you and I technically are on right on the edge of the millennial generation. Um, You know, it's just, it's not about you. You know, we show up not to uh, be blessed, but to be a blessing. And so, you know, like, how would we respond to that sort of pushback, if you will? Okay, yeah, well, um, you know, I don't go to church to be served. I I don't think I ever have. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've, I have 
been involved in ministry as, as long as I've been a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of, I'm just thinking it's coming up on, it's coming up on 20 years, man. Um, dude, you're old, man. Dude, I'm, I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, I, um, even in our, in our setting now, um, mm-hmm. we go to serve. I teach my daughter's Sabbath school class in the morning. My wife teaches a Sabbath school class. She's an adventurer leader. Okay. I was just asked to be an elder this year. Um, you know, we go to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, like I'm very keenly aware that the church should not be molded into my image of its ideal. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. rather to conform to I think the biblical ideal, you know, for, um, authenticity, explosive growth, you know, prayer driven mission centric. Um, and that's in the book of acts. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if we're going to, to, you know, look at that standard, then we can very clearly see, you know, today that, that, um, that something is lacking. Yeah. And the reality is, um, if something is not, spiritually edifying that you might not be, you know, enjoy it or finding it meaningful is not, does not mean you're being selfish. Um, if, 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 if something, you know, worship is a very personal thing and we can't prescribe a certain form and say that if you don't feel blessed by it, then it means you're being self-centered or, you know, um, proud or arrogant or whatever. Um, you know, you were mentioning to me before that we have different ethnic types of, of congregations and it's not, it's, it'd be like going to a, um, inviting a Spanish speaking person who only speaks Spanish to our English speaking worship service and saying, because they're not blessed by a bunch of people speaking English that there's something wrong with them. Right. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, um, worshiping in Romania, worshiping in India, Mm -hmm. um, there were things, you know, did I get a blessing? Sure. Did I, was it rich and deep and dynamic? Did I understand everything? I mean, there was definitely a linguistic, a cultural disconnect there, different forms um, of worship. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's always going to be um, diversity. And I think that that's a good thing because Mm -hmm. different people speak different, different languages, um, not only linguistically, but also culturally, but getting back to the point that, that you made, like, is it a spiritual virtue to be bored (laughs) or (laughs) <laughs> or is it a spiritual virtue to continue to practice certain forms which over time have have lost their meaning mm-hmm. and and we forget the reason why we do some things that we do um yeah anyway yeah no i i totally agree and and um you know the i think the reality is i i'm talking to more and more and more uh people our age and not even just millennials, but, and I know you probably could share a few stories about those who are older than us who have similar experiences. And we'll get to that in a second, but more and more people are, 
are saying the gig is up, like the emperor has no clothes. And, and, you know, I just read an article today from a brother in Australia who, you know, he's a pastor and he says, why is church so blah? And he's like, there's more Mm. and more pastors who are saying this and to try to force people into this form that is not culturally meaningful is no sign of spiritual maturity and uh you know and so it's like and you know we can get into a little bit more you know what is um you know some of the the more i would say biblical expressions but um yeah tell tell me a little bit about some conversations you've had with those that are not even our age i mean these are older people uh and and, for them it's the same thing yeah, for sure. I don't. I don't want to out anybody here on the podcast, but um, I so I wish you could mention names, man. I like our listening audience would just be so entertained by this, but we won't have you do that. Yeah, I I, I literally had two conversations, and incidentally, both of them were in my office. I think both last week or maybe a week apart um, mm-hmm. at the denominational headquarters with two um, two dudes who are faithful people, um, strong in the faith, um, uh, sacrificing for the work, you know, writing books, these, these kind of things. Um, Mm -hmm. and both of them in their own way expressed kind of their frustration of, of, of where we're at as a church, their, their boredom in church. (laughs) Um, saying, you know, is this where we're at? You know, where we, you know, it's just kind of a a, a stagnant and I'm putting words in their mouth, but it's Mm. a kind of consumer mentality. Is this what we're expecting our children to, to grow up in where they're coming and they kind of passively imbibe a service, Mm -hmm. you know, we get preached to, we get sung to Mm -hmm. the children's story told to us Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. Um, so there definitely is a desire, you know, one saying that they've been bored in Seventh-day Adventist worship services for 35 years. Um, there's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And again, this is like a very strongly committed Seventh-day Adventist who loves the message, loves the church, loves the mission, but yep. is bored out of his mind as he sits in a worship service. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was telling you earlier, I had a conversation with with a, a friend of mine who is, you know, probably um, three decades older than I am. And uh, I've known him for a long time. And about a, a year and a half ago, uh, he, and I would consider him to be maybe a little bit more of a traditionalist in his thinking, but he was saying to me, hey, 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 guess what? You know, I have this small group that we meet once a month. And uh, we meet for fellowship and we meet for, you know, we eat together and we, we, we study scripture together. And like in a very hushed voice, he's like, you know, I think I enjoy it more than church. And it was like, it was like he had to be secretive about it as though there was some sort of, um, you know, something wrong with that type of mentality. And so like for me, as I've mentioned before, and I know, you know, this is kind of, where you're coming from. It's like, why does it have to be more than that? Why, you know, why can't that be it? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we shouldn't feel guilty for expressing, um, our dissatisfaction 
mm. um, with lack of meaning and and lack of a deeper spiritual experience in our in our worship. I I literally had this conversation today um, with my own mother who lives out west mm-hmm. and. She may be listening, right? Of the, yeah, I think she actually is listening. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> she, she, um, she's dissatisfied with the lack of interpersonal engagement and people are worshiping and, and they're alone mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. come lonely and they leave lonely and they're listening to, I would hope, biblically faithful sermons. Mm-hmm. They're singing songs together, but there's a real lack, um, uh, there's a real lack of of um, of personal connection, mm-hmm. and it's a shame because it seems like you know we're we come so close to each other, and yet we can be miles apart from each other because you know it's it's again it's a one sided service. You know we you know we're all facing the same direction, um, mm-hmm. and uh, to break that up and get people into groups, which you know I, I don't want to drive this thing, but I'm thinking in my mind like how can we facilitate this is, is the Sabbath morning, uh, Sabbath school program. People get together in small groups. Mm-hmm. They engage with each other in, in Bible study. I mean, can we re co-opt that into its, you know, ideal, um, to try to cultivate that and, and enhance a little bit. I don't know, but it would take a major paradigm shift from what we're currently doing. Um, for that to work. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset that we do just need to go for broke and, and have a completely new paradigm. Um, and it's not, it's not enough to just tweak things. And, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Sabbath school, but for one thing, and no offense to our brother, who is, uh, our friend Cliff Goldstein, who is, uh, the head of the Sabbath school quarterly, uh, but like, I just think even, and this is a, a very peculiar Seventh-day Adventist thing. So those of you who are not Seventh-day Adventist listening, I apologize. But like, I just think that term itself has like such a connotation in people's ears that it's like, I don't know that it's redeemable. Um, and so mm-hmm. just coming up with a whole new paradigm is, uh, maybe what, what is necessary, but you know, a paradigm shift is risky, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, if we, but, but I think like we have no choice. Like we're getting to a place in the West where we're, you know, we don't have any choice, but to plunge into the unknown. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we've kind of assumed certain things and the assumption that our society is built on um a judeo-christian foundation mm-hmm. um it, it doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. you know cultural christianity doesn't exist and you know you talked about this attractional models um where before, you know, 50 years ago, you're getting crowds, people coming because you're sending out invitations and you're preaching messages straight from the Bible. Um, I'm not going to be the dude that says that doesn't work because <laughs> I think that you're not going to be, but you're going to come close. <laughs> I'm not going to be. I just think that um, we just need to be, we need, we need to um, take a second look at things. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think we need to be smarter about, you know, our methods and ask ourselves some questions and, 
yeah oh, anyway that might be another can of worms <laughs> uh the problem is um we as a church are basically extremely risk averse like our our willingness to take risks is basically non-existent would would that be an overstatement i think that that's pretty true and i can think of um you know a friend of mine uh who works in the same office who has a tv show that's all about mission and i've seen him in the mission field Mm -hmm. weeping Mm. because the church is unwilling to take a risk Mm -hmm. this is a this is a time sensitive decision Mm -hmm. to grow god's work in a mission setting and the church says well we don't have the money well can we venture in faith can we do something for the glory of god and and you see him in tears i mean we have a whole department to manage risk um (laughs) so yeah i i think that i think but there are some things that are risky i think i think one of those things sean that is risky is decentralization Mm. and I need to be probably need to qualify that. You need um, to be careful with this. Yeah, we need to be careful. You know, organization is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus was organized himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, he chose 12 disciples for a reason. He trained them and they were the foundation for the church. Everything Jesus did, I think, was very deliberate. So, you know, organization is important. But um, moving away from the current model of church, I think getting back to smaller organic groups, house churches, mm. small groups, especially in urban settings where, you know, you, you just can't afford traditional, you know, church real estate in some of these places where the church desperately needs to grow in these dense urban centers. The only way for that to happen is going to be a small group, mm-hmm. you know, or a house church based movement. But um, that decentralization uh, you know, we need to be smart about that. You know, our leaders properly trained what's being taught. I think some control or management, I should say is good, but we're never going to recapture our essence as a dynamic, you know, missional movement. If we're going to centrally manage every detail, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spirit's going to move and the spirit's going to do what the spirit's got to do to get things done. Um, it's not all going to be governance by committee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, you working in administration are, are more acutely aware of that than I am, um, but I can I can sense it. And I was I tweeted out a few weeks ago that if the New Testament church was as risk averse as most churches are today, it never would have gotten out of Antioch. Um, mm. And like, and someone else said, not even Antioch, it wouldn't have gone out of Jerusalem. It's like. I mean, these these brothers and sisters in the New Testament church, they put it all on the line and um, they were not, they did not shy away from, you know, vulnerability and risk and, and you know, literally sacrificing their, their lives for the cause. And, um, you know, by and large, we've, we've grown comfortable. And as long as the tithe is kind of rolling in at a pretty good clip, then, you know, we keep we keep moving along, but, um, you know, what is it about, what is it about church attendance that we think it's a metric for personal spirituality? Like how did we come to the place where 
the defining, almost the defining metric of a person's spirituality is that they show up to a meeting, you know, on Saturday morning? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think you touched on it when you said, you know, if, if you know, tithe is up, <laughs> membership is faithful, right? The, the ministry is supported um, through the tithes. So, you know, we're able to pay our ministers, we're able to kind of maintain status quo. I think you look at that with church attendance, you know, the, the, the numbers are, you know, at least static or, or growing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I get the whole, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? Mm-hmm. Even more as you see, you know, the day of God approaching, I, I think, you know, gathering together is important. But, you know, as we discussed earlier, to kind of come and imbibe a mostly one-sided formal program for an hour mm-hmm. um, with a children's story and a song and some teaching, um, is that it? Mm. You know, as long as I keep attending, it doesn't matter what I'm doing during the week. It doesn't matter whether I'm sharing my faith or not. It doesn't matter whether I'm having family worship with my children and bringing them to the, you know, the family altar in, in, in worship. It's just, you know, we, we've reduced it. And if someone's coming to church, um, you know, hey, it, it's, it's a sign that, you know, hey, well, at least they're coming to church. And if they don't, then, then we have concerns where someone may not come to church for, you know, very valid personal reasons, but it doesn't mean that they're turned off spiritually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're not pursuing after God. Um, so I feel like the standard just hasn't really worked for us. The church might be full, yeah, but it could still be completely dead. And we have plenty of churches that are like that. I think there's, I think there's more than that. And we need to look at, um, you know, different metrics and kind of banish the idea that, um, I think attendance somewhere is important. I think that, you know, community Mm -hmm. is important Mm -hmm. as I mentioned before, but, um, I think we can do better than, 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 than what we're currently doing. Yeah. As, as we pointed out, um, we did a whole episode on why do we gather? And even that, that passage that says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, the, the reason for it is so that we could um, admonish one another and we could encourage one another. Mm-hmm. And usually what that turns into is so that one person can stand up and try to admonish the whole, you know, audience. And, you know, the New Testament talks so many times about the one another's of scripture. Like we are to one another, each other, like there needs to be mutual yeah. discipleship and edification not just one person using their gifts for the whole body, but everybody using their gifts to build up the body and, and to, you know, reach the world. Um, yeah. So like you were mentioning earlier as well, I love this point. Um, Acts chapter one and two, um, the Holy spirit fell on them when they were in a formal worship gathering, right? They were sitting in, in pews and they were like Pentecost. That's what, that's how, how it happened. Right. Yeah. Well, no, not exactly. Right. I mean, it it was a gathering. I wouldn't say that it was formal at all. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was personal. It was interpersonal, right? It's relational, um, deeply spiritual. You have the disciples as I envision in my mind in Acts chapter one, this is post 
Calvary, mm-hmm. right? Um, spending a few weeks with Jesus before he ascended. Um, and they're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is just giving them a completely impossible task, right? So they're driven together um, they're, for the sake of, of mission. And they're confessing their sins to each other, their selfishness, all the time that they lost with Jesus. And, and all they could think about was their own promotion of themselves. And now he's gone. Mm-hmm. And, and they've banded together in this spiritual community with the impossible task of, of proclaiming the gospel to the world. And it's in that context that we have the outpouring of the Holy spirit. Um, yeah. So it happens. The spirit is poured out in the small group context, not necessarily in, you know, the formal structured, you know, worship service. And I'm not saying that that can't happen, you know, um, John chapter far. three, the spirit blows wherever it wants to blow and it does whatever it wants yeah. to do. And you hear its sound, you know, and whether it's coming or going, you, you're going to see it do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and to be fair, there's a corporate experience in Acts chapter two, um, where Peter is, is preaching, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that takes the form of our, our current forms in the mm-hmm. church today in the 21st century. And I think that that's largely, you know, if you look at the context, you know, that everyone is gathered together uh, for um, Pentecost and God is casting this message out upon the masses of all the people that were um, there as a vector for spreading the gospel. They're going to go back and they're going to take it um, where they need to go. So even if we employ that model every week, mm-hmm. you're coming to connect mm-hmm. so that you can go out and be, you know, that vector mm-hmm. in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, mm-hmm. not passive, you know, drinking at the source and then keeping it to yourself all week. It's equipping for ministry and it's for the transference of the gospel. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got, I got two more questions for you, my friend. Uh, tell, tell, tell us a little bit about, um, you met someone on an airplane recently. It's an airplane story and tell me about the wrestling you're doing with, you know, what, what, where would I send her? Yeah. So I I don't travel a whole lot. Um, but you know, when I do, um, you know, you kind of look for opportunities and someone sit next to you and you think, you know, it's an opportunity to just, you know, share and connect. And, um, I had, uh, a, a young lady sit next to me or actually I sat next to her and, um, we started a conversation up. She was raised in a fundamentalist home, totally rejected Christianity, kind of a new age neo Buddhist, um, you know, living in a major city, um, has had major challenges in her life, a divorce, a child, husband with, or, you know, ex-husband with the mental illness. And, you know, what do you do? <laughs> well, uh, let me tell you, this, this, this is my answer. Okay. I'll, I'll just tell you my answer. Uh, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I, I, I mean, I do communications for a nonprofit organization. <laughs> uh, okay. And they always say, they always say, which one? <laughs> the Seventh-day Adventist church. And then they invariably ask, are you a Seventh-day Adventist? Well, yes, I am. Um, so, well, tell me what, what makes you guys different. And she, 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 she quizzed me on, um, you know, as, as my peer, okay. As an E, we're both ENFPs. We're both in this idealist 
family. And I said, are you, I said, have you ever taken Myers-Briggs? What are you, ENFP? I said, I'm totally an ENFP. She's, she studied anthropology. I studied anthropology. Um, so there's this connection there. And she's been very dissatisfied um, with her life. And um, she's asking me all these questions about the position of the church on this, that, and the other thing. And at the end of just, you know, presenting who we are as a people, the message I believe God gave us for this specific time in earth's history. She said, you know, I'm open. Mm, mm. I'm open. And I said, Lord Jesus, like this, these, these are my people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in, in my, my, uh, post punk, post dreadlock, post whatever self, you know, from all my experimentation in my, you know, mid to late teens, I connect these people. I say, these are my people. But where, you know, where do I send them for further knowledge and instruction and, and resources to deepen their faith? Um, you know, and, and maybe there are listeners like me who have said, you know, you have these connections and you say, sending them to the local Adventist church <laughs> is a risky thing. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know what's waiting on the other side of that door. The greeters are going to receive them. The, the, the sermon from the pulpit. Um, is it inside speak? Are we just bantering about, uh, about uh, our own internal issues and understandings and pandering to ourselves? Or are, are, are the doors open to receive people who are asking really challenging mm -hmm. questions? So that's been something that, um, that's been challenging me. And, uh, I have some ideas of where I'm going to point her. Um, but it, you know, those are very prayerful, um, mm -hmm. decisions. Yeah, man, I had, I had, I had a, a woman randomly, um, reach out to me recently saying, Hey, you know, I know you're the pastor of the Bangor Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm, I'm curious. My mother is a Seventh-day Adventist and I promised her that I would, you know, I would, um, you know, look into Adventism. And so will you study the Bible with me? Well, it turns out that she lives an hour and a half away from me. And so like, that's, that's not a place, it's something I can do. You know, I can't be driving an hour and a half. So I was looking, okay, where's the local Adventist church? Let me see, uh, you know, who's closest. And, you know, this is no criticism of any any church or any pastor or anyone in my local area, but I'm like, I don't know what's gonna show up at her door. You know, when I'm, I can either drive an hour and a half or I can, I can chance it by sending somebody else from another Adventist church where I don't know if they're going to be discipling her in, in, you know, gospel centered Adventism. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, challenging thing and not that you or I have it all figured out, but, um, you know, it's just kind of where we are, by the way, I never knew Jared, but I didn't realize you were ENFP because I am as well. So that's why we click so well, I guess. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, bro, yeah, I won't, I won't cool. keep you all all night, but last question. Um, so let's say in 20 years, you are no longer there in that office at the general conference. Um, what are you, uh, what are you doing? What have you learned through this that you'll say now, you know, I'm back. If I go back in pastoring as a, as a local pastor, what, uh, what do you, what are you, what are you doing differently 
um, than what you you did before? I think that um, probably some similar mm-hmm. things that I would continue to do, and that is keeping the the, the morning weekly worship service simple. Mm-hmm. You know, simple liturgy, humble service. Jesus is 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 the mm-hmm. center. Um, you know, I, I think that we can invest a lot of time in the program, and and totally miss the point. Um, but yeah, going going um, back into the local church, and that's something that I aspire to do. I think that anyone who serves in the office setting probably needs to rotate out to be reminded what's really mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. in the work. Again, that's, um, and that's something yeah, that, that, that's a, that I would be, I would be willing to that's do. That's a, a topic um, for another podcast as well. Perhaps the, the need. That's, yeah. That's another, that's another topic. <laughs> that's a good one though. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to, to, to keep us, to keep yeah. us fresh. Yeah. And to be reminded of what the center and the heart of mm-hmm. the work, um, really is but um the cultivation of small groups um missional communities not just existing to come together to you know banter about theology and read a nice book Mm -hmm. together but um making safe places where people can invite their friends and and having that as the building blocks the church that's a challenging thing to do in our setting Um, and it's consistently you know for the adventist uh, tradition, if you want to call it that, it's consistently one of the hardest things to implement. And I think it's probably similar in other groups too. But for us, I, I've heard it time and time again, but making that the building block and not the corporate mm-hmm. service. Um, right now, my wife and I, you know, we've, we've kicked around the idea of, you know, we need to do it in our own home. Let's, let's get back to, um, to what we've done in the past. And that's just have open our home as a light in our community, invite our friends and our neighbors and their other church members in our area that we can plug in. And, um, you know, these are the things that we're wrestling with right now to recapture that, um, not just the spirit of acts, but things that we've experienced, um, in the past that really, we, we long for again in our life and in our, in our ministry. Awesome, man. Next time we talk to you on, Mission Lab, we will expect an update about how you've opened up your home and are uh, are doing that very thing. So awesome, Jared. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know as well your daughter has been under the weather, so I appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I think, yeah, yeah I sure think it's thing, just yeah. an affirmation. Uh, as we were talking about before, there's so many people feeling this same sentiment at the depths of their being. And I know when I um, shared with my sister-in-law, Ellie, who has been on the podcast before and Camille and I talk about her frequently, that when I shared with her, hey, here's this other pastor friend of mine who is kind of done with the traditional go to a formal meeting, a formal program, you know, once a week thing. She's like, you don't know how validating it is to hear pastors saying that because you know, she's been saying it for a decade or so. I don't know. And she, you know, she always, I think, was made wow. to feel like that made her a sub-Christian. Like, oh, you don't like the church service? Like, 
you'd rather just hang out in your living room and have God conversations with people. Well, that means you're not, you know, a fully mature Christian. And so like, again, to have sharing, sharing with me that to have pastors say it is like, so, um, you know, invigorating to her. So I think, you know, just sharing that is encouraging to others. And the fact is there's a lot of, a lot of sincere Bible loving, Jesus loving, gospel centered Adventist loving, um, young people who do all that, but are not really feeling fulfilled with the Sabbath morning program. So. Yeah, that's, that's something that we need to be sensitive to. And I, I, you know, I still believe that the church is the theater Mm, of God's grace. Um, what expression that takes. Um, I think that we're kind of at a turning point. And I think that this, this sentiment is only going to grow as, you know, the Western culture continues to shift, but, you know, let's be positive. You know, I'm an idealist, you're an idealist. Let's not become, uh, kind of narrow in our thinking, um, but aspire to greatness for the glory of God and, and to not be satisfied, except that we find our satisfaction Mm -hmm. in him and in community with each other in him. Awesome. I'm so on board. So let's, uh, let's do it, what we need to, to get there. And so thank you, Jared. Right and now we'll look forward to having you on again in the future. Now that we know how to do this whole remote recording. Um, so thanks for listening, dear listener, and we'll catch up with you next time. Thanks for listening to us here on mission lab. Thank you for listening to mission lab. Our theme song is Portland hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast.